week clearly with heavy hearts and with our eyes cast to Eretz Yisrael from all parts of the world and our tefillot intensified on behalf of all of the residents and specifically on behalf of the chayalim and chayalot. And uh, we offer this shiur certainly as a uh, as a piece of our effort uh, to strengthen the the hearts and the uh, and the will of uh, of all those who uh, who defend our country. Uh, and take a look. This being the week of Parshat Bereshit, at a piece that we've never looked at before, uh, which is the Eitz Hadat Tovara and the Eitz Hachayim. Uh, and their impact on several other stories that take place in Parashat Breshit, and uh, there may be some surprises here. Uh, but let's take a look at it. Um, we'll start with uh, Source 2, even though there's a Source 1, because Source 2 is going to introduce us to these two trees. And in the creation story of Perak Bet, which, as we know, does not present the same order or details as Perak Aleph's creation story, so God makes grow from the ground all these beautiful trees that are lovely to look at and good to eat. Now notice that the Eitzachayim, the tree of life, is described by location. It is in the middle of the garden. Eitzadat Tovara is not given a location. Keep that in mind as we look a little bit further. The second piece of the puzzle is an unusual midrash uh, from Midrash Tadshe. It's a later midrash, perhaps 8th century, in which we have Rapinchas bin Yarek being quoted as Vikarashmo Eitzadat al Shem Sofo. Now, there's two ways to read that. One would be that this particular tree had something about it. Um, that eventually would turn into da'at on the part of the person who ate it, uh, or perhaps it was just a tree. And because of what resulted, uh, a tree like any other tree, but because of what resulted, uh, it became the etzadat. And we'll see, we're going to explore that second option uh, through the course of the shiur, mainly towards the end. Okay, now, regarding these two trees, we find in source 4, Man, you may eat from all of these trees. Perhaps you may, may, maybe even are supposed to eat from all of these trees. Do not eat from the Eitzadat Tovara. Notice that there's no mention about the Eitzachayim. On the day that you eat from it, you will die. Now, that, of course, becomes problematic because, as we see, that doesn't happen. Now, in the conversation that takes place in Source 5 between the Nachash and the Isha, however we understand what that conversation is supposed to mean, the Nachash says to her, God said you can't eat from any of the trees. We're allowed to eat from the trees. The tree that's in the middle of the garden you shouldn't eat from it, you can't even touch it, because you will die. Now notice that in Perek Bet, in Source 4, the description of the tree is, uh, sorry, in, in Source 2, in uh, in Perek Bet, Eitzachayim is the one that's betochagan, and Eitzadat isn't given a location. She refers, without any identity of the of the tree, uh, to the Eitz Asher Betochagan is the one we're not allowed to eat, which, of course, we thought that was the Eitz Hadat, 
that she's not allowed to eat, but they said that we don't know where it is. And it's a chaymas b'tochagan. And the other question is, how come God never warned Adam against eating from Eitz HaChayim? After all, as we see later on, God doesn't want man to eat from Eitz HaChayim. So let's see what's going on with that. Notice, parenthetically, that in the interaction between the Nachash and the Isha, and then later on, the word Yodea plays a prominent role. So, for instance, when the Nachash is trying to convince her to eat from that tree, and again, we learned that that tree is the tree of of that, he says, Ki yodea Elohim. Now, interesting, when she looks at the tree, she doesn't use the word dat, it's tavahu leinaim, nachmal but the nachash also says, you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And then when they eat from the tree and they become aware of their nakedness, they are aware that they are naked, and then everything flows from there. And that's a word that, again, is going to pop up again in what is another tangent of this issue, but not an insignificant one, which is the beginning of a family, which starts in Source 6 with Vahadam Yada et Chava Ishto. And that refers, of course, to sexual congress. Um, and so we have to kind of figure out what the relationship is between the Eitz Hadat and Da'at that the Nachash is referring to, and of course the Vayeda Adam Od Edishto, Vayeda Adam Edishto, and how the, the, those words, how that word correlates uh, with with what is being described in that pasuk about uh, reproduction. But since we're on the topic of reproduction, let's go back to source one. In the opening creation story, Parak Aleph. When God creates man, and God creates man as a hermaphrodite, evidently, that's the way it seems, uh, God blesses them, this couple, now, by the way, that would be kind of difficult if the two of them are really one, so we have to explore that also, but he says to them, become fruitful and multiply and fill the land, right? that's well known to be the, the opening command. When does that command come into play, and when is that command finally actuated in the narrative that we're reading in Breshit is also a part of our puzzle. I'm just laying out all the puzzle pieces here. Another puzzle piece I want to point out is at the end of Source 4. After the creation of the woman, which is done as the successful attempt to find man of companion, with all the failures of the animals not being a successful companion for man. Man says, Right, this is an isha, she comes from an ish, clever play on words, because the word ish and isha are actually etymologically not related at all. In any case, have a good question to ask her, which is, who's saying this pasuk? Is this... Adam saying, therefore man should leave his father and mother. He doesn't even have a father and mother. Is it the Hashem saying it? At what point is he saying it? Lo that's what the conclusion, and it almost, almost, almost seems to be an editorial gloss here that HaKadosh Baruch is adding in, just like we have, for instance, in the story of Esav eating from the soup, and he says, give me some of that Edom. And then there's a little note there in, in Perakafei Pasuk Lamed, Alken Karashmo Edom. That's why we refer to him as Edom. So the same thing here, Alken Yazov Ishtavivetimo. Therefore a man should leave his father and mother, Vedavak Ishto, and cleave to his wife, Vahayul Vasarachad. 
Now, what does Vayulav Asar Chad mean? They will become one flesh. Again, a piece of the puzzle that we're going to uh, we're going to try to decipher here. Now, um, the one last thing I want to kind of set up here is that if you take a look at the uh, source five, at the second half of source five, which is the punishments meted out to the Nachash, to the Isha, and to the Adam as a result of their eating from the tree, what's the punishment the woman gets? I'm going to increase your pain of childbirth. That's one way to read it. Or perhaps it is that childbirth inherently is painful, and now you're going to be tasked with that. And notice what Adam is cursed with. You're, the land will be cursed. It's not going to respond to you. You're going to be growing all sorts of bad stuff. You're going to eat from, by the by the fruit of your brow, the sweat of your brow, sorry. Until you return to the earth, because that's where you came from. You were made of dust, and you returned to dust. Now, what is it that's being introduced here? So we're going to see um, several different approaches to understanding the interrelationship between the Eitz Hadat, the impact of eating from Eitz Hadat, um, the, uh, the response of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the nature of those punishments uh, that, that are given both to Adam and Ishto as a result. But before moving to there, I just want to point out one last thing is the last pasuk, um, the pasuk that follows uh, the story of the sin. This is a strange pasuk. God says, "Man is like one of us." He's talking. Who's he talking to? Ladat tovara. Now he's yodea tovara. So he's like one of us. Now I'm afraid he's going to take from etzachayim and live forever, forever. And so therefore, the next thing that happens is that God exiles Adam, and there's the Lat Tacherim Tapechet, and the Kuvim that guard the Derech Eitzachayim. Very nice. So again, as I asked earlier, why wasn't there no concern about eating from Eitzachayim earlier on? How come that only becomes a concern now? And why wasn't man forbidden from eating from Eitzachayim earlier? It's all quite confusing. Uh, so let's take a look um, at uh, at the sources that we have. Uh, looking at source 7, the Rashbam, and using this as kind of one of the models that is used by Chazal uh, and by some of the Rishonim to uh, to decipher what the apparent contradictions between Parak Aleph and Parak Bet, he says, this is in Parak Aleph, the description of creating a male and female being, that as it says in Parak Bet, that God took one of Adam's ribs or sides, or however you want to read Selah, and turned it into a woman. Meaning, God first in the Torah presents the general statement, which means he created a male and female. And then in Perak Bet, he gives the details. How do you make a male and female? It's a male, and he opened him up and took out part, and that made him female. And that's a very quick sort of resolution of, that, of those two. Uh, and so that kind of sets the tone for one approach of understanding the relationship between Perak Aleph and Perak Bet, which is going to have an impact on our understanding of Eitz Hadat. And we're going to start with a kind of, with, again, tangential question, when were Cain and Hevel born? When were, when were Cain and Hevel conceived? And I'll add to, a third, uh, to that a third piece, why were they born? Why were they conceived? Right? So now 
let's take a look at the um, at the Rashbam in source eight, uh, who talks about the nature of eight sadat. What is eight sadat? So he describes eight sadat as essentially awareness of aesthetics, beauty and ugliness. Meaning he and he proves as you see Royala Devar the Sharechachamaya Dam. Man before this was wise and knowledgeable. He was able to name all the animals. He was able to come up with a clever name for Isha. All these things are beautiful. Um, and, uh, and so therefore, it's not as if he was, he was, he was, uh, moronic or he was uh, an idiot. He, the Eitzadat gave him a new sense of what we would call aesthetics. Uh, referring to the Eitz HaChayim, Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor suggests that what Eitz HaChayim is, and this will now explain some of the things we were, we were looking at earlier, that Eitz HaChayim um, is an Eitz HaRefuah, meaning that, and he gives some some examples, and the notion that he develops is that somebody who is sick eats from Eitz HaChayim is restored. Somebody who's feeling old is, eats from Eitz HaChayim and Allah Ponce de Leon is uh, is rejuvenated, but somebody who's healthy doesn't have any need for it, which will then explain, based on this next passage of the Bechor Shor, um, of Mahari Kara, sorry, from the same school of Rashi, um, why this now becomes an issue only after man eats from Eitz Hadat. Because regarding Eitz Hadat, and we ask the question, God said, well, the day you eat from the Eitz Hadat, you'll die. And so he asked the question we asked, Tema. He didn't die on that day. This is how we should read it. The day that you eat from it, you will become mortal. Because you violated my law. Meaning you've committed a capital crime. And therefore you've become mortal. And the Bechor Shor says that even more clearly in the next source. Right? Meaning, you will not be spared from death. Didn't say on the day, on that day you're going to die, but on the day that you eat from it, you become mortal. That's the way he interprets it. It's not the simplest read, but given the evidence and the fact that Adam lives quite a long time after eating from the tree, and so does his wife, therefore we have to interpret it as not either not death, meaning something different than death. Or, again, not meaning that you're going to die on that day, but now death becomes part of your life cycle. We then understand what the concern is at the end of Perak Gimel, which is, now that Adam has eaten from Eitz Hadat, now there's a concern that he's going to, want, he's going to live forever, meaning, till now, eating from Eitz Hayim would be no, no purpose. He's healthy and he's immortal. However, we understand what that means. Now there's going, there's going to be a reason to be concerned because he's eaten from Eitzadad and he's become mortal. Which leads us to a most perplexing, really excitingly innovative, but perplexing approach of Rabbi Yosef Kimchi to understanding the relationship between these two trees that will answer some of our questions but leave us with a big challenge. And it's quoted by the tour in his long commentary, in the full commentary of the tour on the Torah, uh, in describing the trees. And he gives several explanations of what Eitz HaChayim is, and then he quotes, from Yosef Kimchi Piresh, Ha-Eitz HaChayim ve-Eitz HaDat There's one tree. One tree, which is Eitz HaDat and Eitz HaChayim. 
So why does the pasuk describe those two trees? Something like describing a few characteristics of one person. And the vav then becomes what we call vav habiur, perhaps, a, a clarifying vav, or maybe it's just vav habiur, a regular vav that's describing several components. This tree that's in the middle of the garden is etzadat and etzachayim. So Eitzachim was betoch hagan, and by the way, it's also Eitzadat tovara. And it brings an interesting proof. Because we pointed this out. What does the woman say in response to the nachash when she says, he says, you can't eat from any of the trees? She says, me pri Eitzagan achol nochel, on pri Eitzachim we can't eat. There's only one tree they can't eat from. Same tree. That's Betochagan. Now, that's his presentation of Yosef Kimchi. He then brings the obvious challenge, which is the last Pasuk we saw. So the problem is, how is Yosef Kimchi going to answer the last Pasuk that says, now that man knows good from evil, now the concern is he's going to eat from Eitzachayim and live forever. But according to that, he's already eaten from Eitzachayim. So in order to decipher that, we're going to go a little further into the Rishonim, into understanding how this Eitzhadat works. And as you can see from the Rashbam and the Joseph B'choshor, um, that you can see that they take the position that when man ate from Eitzhadat, what happened is he suddenly became filled with what we might call human vices, um, uh, arrogance and jealousy and uh, ambition in a negative way and, uh, and uh, desire, coveting, etc., etc. And then he turns and says, well, somebody of my stature should not be walking around naked. And he points that out in saying that there's no... There's no reason to refer to somebody who never has clothes as naked. You don't refer to a cat as being naked. But but a person who feels like he should be on a different level, then he's going to suddenly feel naked over the fact that he's not clothed. And that's what happened. Eitz Hadat, he suddenly started feeling a certain arrogance. And it's like inappropriate for me to be naked. And so that's kind of what's 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 kicking on um, in in that in that sense. And um and now that's kind of the whole picture let's go back to the creation of woman Yosef Bechor says something that's absolutely startling he says when God wants to make a partner for man he says to be a partner companion not to have kids with why he calls man she'eno bar As long as he's not mortal, he doesn't need more kids. He doesn't need any kids because kids are there to take your place. It's a wild statement. But notice what he's saying. Man, God says man is alone and loneliness is not good. And therefore, I'm going to make him a helper. Not to be a partner in having kids. There's no need for kids because before he eats from Eitzadat, he is immortal. And now that leads us to this machloket. Rashi, at the beginning of Parak Dalid, says, when did Adam have relations with Chava and she became pregnant? That was Kayin. Hadam Yadai, he's picking up on the language. Yadai is past perfect. 
which means even though this is told after the story of the exile from the garden, it says man had already known Chava. is before the whole story of the sin. And he points out grammatically, if it used the past imperfect, then it would be in sequence. Now they were thrown out, now he has relations. The Bechoshor, on the other hand, says that when she has the child, she names him Cain, but because Kaniti Ishat Hashem. Kaniti Otobagufi. I created it myself, and with my pain and my pain of childbirth, meaning after the after the sin and after the punishment. In order to settle the land. Why? And basically, I've killed a man by getting Adam to eat from the tree and making him mortal, so now I'm going to give another man for God to kind of make up for that. All right? And in a similar vein, way back at the creation of woman, before any of that sin, when the Pasuk said that therefore man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and Vayula Basar Chad, they should become one flesh, Rashi says, the beautiful Rashi, Avlad The child is a creation of the two of them. What's Basar Chad? The child. That's where their flesh becomes one. Beautiful and true notion. But is that what the intent of the Pasuk is? And so the Bechor can't say that. Because at that point in creation, Childbirth is just not an issue at all. It's not anything you need to worry about because we're immortal. And therefore, what does he say about Vayula Basar Chad? They're like one body. They cleave together like one body, but not about having kids. Not the child who becomes the Basar Chad. In other words, the way Rashi is going to read Pru'urvu, as we saw in the Rashbam, that Pru'urvu is a mitzvah that's given to them on the spot, and uh, and it's explicated later. And while they're in the garden, they are separated, because even though they're described as Zachar and Kivah, they're created as separate beings, and they already cohabit, and they are, she already gets pregnant and already has kids in the garden before they're thrown out. However, according to the B'chor Shor, um, they, uh, they are immortal. There's no need for them to engage in that. They are, shall we say, guileless, and as a result of that, Pruvu doesn't start until a later point. The Bechor Shor is going to therefore adopt the position, it seems, that Pruvu is a mitzvah given to them at a later point in the story after they've sinned, after they've been exiled, which means the description of the sixth day in the first story spans a long period from the creation to the separation into male and female to the command of Pruvu, which only becomes necessary afterwards. Now, um, the the issue of what is this tree, and is it one tree or two trees? So we have to admit that Rabbi Yosef Kimchi's approach to understanding it as all one tree linguistically works really well in the in the text. And the one challenge it has, the challenge the tour pointed out, but it's obvious to all of us, from the end of the story, it says he already ate from Eitz Adat, and now he's going to eat from Eitz Achayim, but according to that, it's all one tree. So I want to go back to the point where we started. Rapinchas ben Yair says, Perhaps what it means is as follows. There is a tree. This tree has no particular qualities. It's a tree that's in the middle of the garden. And God puts it there. And that tree is a tree that will become whatever man makes of it, depending on how he behaves. 
And so God commands him to avoid it, to restrain, to withhold. The first mitzvah and the only mitzvah he's given explicitly is avoid that tree. If man successfully avoids the tree, then that tree becomes Eitzah by virtue of his avoiding it because he has gained or continued his immortal life. If, on the other hand, he eats from it, then suddenly he has tasted what it's like to rebel. He's tasted what it's like to violate God's command, and that's tov, that's da'at tovara. Da'at tovara, it, the tov part is not the emphasis. He's aware that there's evil in the world, and he's aware of it because of himself. And now what's God's concern at the end of the story? Now that he's yodei tovara, meaning that now that he has a sense of that and a taste of that, he's going to want more. And olam, which means he's going to consume this tree forever. We've got to get him out so that we limit the extent of perdition to which he's fallen. And so therefore it is entirely possible to look at this tree from two perspectives and be speaking about the same tree, say he ate from it, now we're afraid he's going to eat from it further. And if you think about it, is a little bit of a strange concern for God to have, say he might be immortal. So God can kill him. God can make him mortal. But the problem here is it's man's nature. Man's nature, if he starts on this road and then continues on it, he is going to be more suffused with the awareness of his own rebelliousness and his own sinfulness, and that will help. That will end up defining him. And so he will. So God has to exile him before that happens. And so what we've done over the course of the past uh, couple half hour or so is to take a look at this very perplexing description of these trees in uh, in Gan Eden and Betochagan, and seeing the Shita of Yosef Kimchi is quoted by the Torah that suggests that they're both the same tree, and the description is describing a tree from two perspectives. And the question that, that he raised that, about the about the statement of God, which is he's already eaten from Eitzadat, now he's going to eat from Eitzachayim, I suggest it really means he's going to come back and eat from that tree more and go further into that into that internalization of a self-awareness of sinfulness, which is going to drag him even further down. And so therefore he has to be exiled at that point. And following the Bechor Shor, it is only at the point where he becomes aware of sinfulness and becomes aware of of Tov and Ra, not in purely aesthetic terms, but the aesthetics of lust. And as many as some of the Rishonim, like the Ibn Ezra points out, about Yodei Tovarah being about awareness of sexuality. And he talks about it in explicit terms. And, uh, and therefore, only at that point does he become mortal. Only at that point does Puravu become an issue. Only at that point does having children become a, necess- a necessary thing in order to propagate the species. And then all of human history takes an important turn when God then exiles him, essentially to save him from the temptation of continuing and exacerbating that evil nature. Mir Hashem, next week we will uh, meet again and, and talk about Parshat Noach and hopefully Mir Hashem, Chaste Shemaim, and with the help and support of all of our brave Chayalim and Chayalot and Toshavim, uh, in, um, to have a much, much better week. Uh, and eventually, uh, Shalom al Yisrael, hopefully soon, soon, soon.